Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I've noticed we have a few visitors today and some people returning, uh, some of our part-timers. So to let you know, we are continuing on the sermon series through 1 Thessalonians. And uh, last week we arrived in chapter 4 and we're going to finish chapter 4 next week. But we have this small section of scripture right in the middle that kind of links where we were last week and next week we'll connect with where we are today. And even though it's a short scripture, that doesn't mean anything. Just to let you know. But last week what we talked about is that as we move from chapter 1 through chapter 2 and chapter 3, Paul is, as he says, reminding them. He says it several times of what he said while he was there. And as you get into chapter Three, he informs them a little bit more about where he is and where they are and some of the challenges that they're facing. And by the time you get into chapter 4, there's more instructing going on. Even though he says to them at different times, this is what I said to you when I was there. This is the gospel. This is the gospel being applied to your lives. And you'll notice that phrase that we touched on last week, more and more. In other words... You started. You've made some progress. Don't stop. The Christian life is never meant to be a static life. You have never arrived until you're with the Lord in heaven. And so there's this constancy of seeking Him and growing in Him and applying the gospel as we grow in age, as we grow in experience as we expand our circles, as we seek to reach out for the sake of the gospel. There's this constant more and more going on. And it's interesting because he throws this phrase in that we're going to be touching on in a few moments. Taught by God. Taught by God to love. That this is what the life looks like. You need to understand it's not just about Laws. But neither is it about something that is so otherworldly that when we're talking about the spiritual life and we're talking about God and we're talking about Jesus Christ and living the life of Christ in this world, it's not meant to be beyond us. And say, well, you know, that's just too much. That's for the really spiritual people, you know what I mean? And so what we do is we tend to discount what we read or what we hear. Say, so that's not really for me, even though this life, this walk, is meant to be lived out in this world. And so we're not to discount what we read in the Word of God in terms of what this life looks like and what it's meant to look like. We're not to deny and say, well, you know, I, I really have my act together. I don't, 
I don't need to worry about that. I don't even need to look at what the Word of God says because I'm good. And we kick into denial about what the Word of God says and what it means for my life. And sometimes we just dodge it. You know what I mean by dodge? When there's something in there we don't really want to hear, we just kind of, like dodgeball, you know, just goes past us. You know? We sometimes try to do that. Instead of saying, this is the call on my life. This is what God is seeking for me. As I share his kingdom, his gospel with those around me in word and deed. That this life that he calls us to is very practical. It is meant to be lived out. It is meant to be embraced. The Holy Spirit wants to bring it into your hearts and life and transform you. And the word that Paul has used, holiness, and at other places, purity. That we're to become more and more Christ-like. That our hearts, our motives, are to become more purified, more holy, as the Spirit does His works in us. You know, this body that we've been given, everybody's been given a body. And you have, with this body, an instrument. See, the gospel, in many ways, enters our hearts and minds. But then we live it out with this body that we've been given. So you will either, with this body, become an instrument of righteousness and holiness and love and service to those around you, or you will become an instrument of sin. And the question is, what do you do with the gospel? What do you do with the word of God? Are you really opening your heart and your mind and your life to the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you? Because that's what Paul is challenging the Thessalonians to do more and more. And last week, two of the areas that we talked about in terms of the impact of the gospel, and two of the biggest challenges of Paul's day back in this era in the Greco-Roman world as the gospel is beginning to spread, is dishonest business practices, which also existed in Judaism, by the way, just considered the temple, and Jesus clearing the temple. And the other was sexual relationships, which, oh, by the way, we're dealing with challenges there today, too. And if you want to know what I said about that, I really encourage you to get the CD from last week or to listen on the website. Go to the website and listen on the website. Because it will give you some background in terms of this practical application of the gospel today. Much like they were dealing with challenges back in the Greco-Roman world then, we are dealing with similar ones today. And then Paul kind of slides into very similar areas this week. What he's dealing with this week is what we do at work or in our work and what we do with relationships, more generally speaking. It's where we live life at. Most of you are involved in some kind of work, even if you're not gainfully employed. All of us work to some degree. So we've got to bring the gospel into that workplace, into our work lives. And then we bring the gospel into our relationships. 
And what do those look like? See, because as God's instruments, this body that we bring into those places, we're to seek to bring His presence. That we're allowing the gospel to penetrate our lives so that we become His witness in word and deed, wherever we go. You know, and the reality is, sometimes, and I know people in the world have this mindset, just look at the subtle and overt messages that you get from culture, that if you really live that way, you're probably going to live a pretty boring life. Know what I mean? The Christian life is kind of boring. It's drudgery. Most people that are Christians look very dour, not joyful. You know? And that's not reality. I love life. I enjoy life. I have fun. Ask my staff. Ask my family. I mean, I hope they don't say I'm not a drag, you know? <laughs> okay, good. I want. <laughs> we laugh a lot. Just ask the volunteers. <laughs> But you know, why is it that people think that? See, because this life, the life that God has given to us, is meant to be a joy-filled life, but that's because we're walking with Him. We allow Him and His Spirit to impact our lives. We're bearing His fruit. And if you look at His, His fruit, it's good stuff. See, but what the world wants to paint the picture for you is that it's, it's meant to be a glamorous and constantly entertained, and constantly fun life, you know? And the reality is, I probably will never be on the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Probably, you know? I probably will never hang out with the Kardashians. Kim's called me. No, just kidding. You know, contrast that with the life of Mother Teresa. You know what's interesting? Is if you really, really think about it, most of the values that we hold up in our culture, fame, fortune, entertainment, glamour, what most of us are really shooting for, that is the Kardashians. It's usually not Mother Teresa. Think about your own life and what you value and what's priority and how you live. See, and that's what Paul is talking about when he says, we're called to work. We're called to love. More and more. That doesn't all mean that we're going to be in Mother Teresa's spot. But it means that this call is going to require us to apply ourselves, our resources, our time, our effort, our energy into growing in the knowledge and love of the Lord and sharing that with other people through service. You know, another place you can look for where the values and priorities are in our world, look at television, look at video games. How do you win? 
How do you win in video games? A lot of times you kill people. A lot of times you steal. A lot of times you get. You acquire. Subtle. But people become a means, not someone to be loved and served. And the values that are held up in much of the media and television. And what do you do with all that? How do you process all that? Who is, if you will, according to what Paul's saying here, teaching you? Are you being taught by God? And when you are being taught by God, is this impacting you by word and deed? You know, most video games, and really even in life, we are all about winning. I like to win. I don't do it all the time. I like to win. <laughs> One of my golfing buddies just spoke under his breath. I won't tell you what he said. But I want you to think about what it means to win the battle over your own flesh. I want you to think about it, what it means to win the battle over sin and temptation in your life. I want you to think about what it means to win other people to Christ. That they would discover salvation and eternal life. Because that's winning. That's not what we hold up in our culture many times, but that's winning. That's the life that God takes notice of. And so with that in mind, I want to move to this whole notion and idea of taught by God to love one another. Taught by God to What a great idea. Because where do we usually find what it means to love one another? It's through our culture. We're taught, once again, sometimes overtly, sometimes subtly, in the media that we see and hear around us. You know, for example, like, if you're married, that you fall in love, but you can fall out of love. See, love no longer becomes a decision. We become other someone who is blessed by it, or we become a victim of someone who, you know, really messed us up, didn't make us happy. That love is reflected in the love of Christ. See, because we are always trying to either get ahead or get along, aren't we? I mean, be honest. Our culture talks about getting ahead more and more. That the values of the world become our values, and we're always seeking to move forward, success. Or we're trying to get along. You know, and the big word with getting along is tolerate, right? I'm so glad that Jesus didn't say, Instead of love one another as I've loved you, tolerate one another as I tolerate you. You know what I mean? Because love means something. Love is costly. Jesus demonstrated that. Love is willing to confront. Jesus demonstrated that. Even though he was the most loving person, people sought to kill him. That should be a wake-up call. 
that love isn't always easy, love isn't always pleasant, and people don't always understand or want to receive the kind of love that God has to offer. And that's why it says that we're taught by God to love. That doesn't mean the world's always going to understand it or we're always going to be able to be welcomed wonderfully well, even when we're loving. Even when we're loving. And if you want to look at getting ahead and what getting ahead looks like, Look at the gospel reading for today, just as an example. Because James and John reflect the nature of the world, the culture of getting ahead. Hey, we want to sit at your right hand and left hand, man. We want to be in the position of power and prestige. And Jesus says, you get ahead by serving. You get ahead by getting on your knees. Instead of being the one who's looking down at other people, you're the one looking up at other people because you're serving them. It's not what the world says. And it's challenging. I'm not saying this stuff is easy, but what I am saying is that God wants to bless you in the midst of that by filling you with his spirit so that you're bearing his fruit, so that you're living his life, That you're filling yourself daily by coming before His Word and understanding, being taught by God of what His love looks like. And every day you're coming and you're being filled with the Spirit. So you're taking in from Him so you can give out and love and serve other people. And the question is, are you being taught by Him? Are you feeding on his word? Are you drawing strength from his spirit? Empowered by him to live this life. And to do so joyfully. Because it doesn't have to be drudgery. Secondly, as he continues on this track, he says, Live quietly. Mind your own affairs. Work with your hands. You know, when I began to reflect on this, there's two scriptures that came to mind. One is the, the, the story Jesus tells, the parable, if you will, of the Pharisee and the publican, where the Pharisee is standing there praying out loud so that everybody hears him and basically saying in everybody's hearing, look how wonderful I am, right? And then he turns his eyes to the publican and says, I'm not like that publican sinner over there, right? And the publican is on his knees beating his breast saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus makes the comment, who went away justified? See, our culture, in our culture, once again, we want to lift ourselves up. Now, I'm not saying that always, when you do this, that you're necessarily lifting yourselves up, but look how many people do Facebook and selfies. Selfies, even the name, right? Now, I'm not saying selfies are bad because selfies can show us what some people are doing, that they're having fun, they want to make you smile. But a lot of times, selfie says, hey, look at me, right? And Facebook. Man, I don't really care that you're going shopping right now. You know what I mean?
And by the way, I don't even have Facebook. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Because <laughs> I hear about it. I hear about it. We're constantly promoting ourselves. Instead of allowing the Lord to fill us and transform us, which is what he wants. Going back to the parable of the Pharisee and publican just for a moment. You know what sometimes that reminds me of in our culture today are the political campaigns. What are the political campaigns usually look like today? Are they positive? They tend to be that I want to put the other person down. And they tell half-truths in the process. And they use whatever ammunition they can. And what they could be doing is just saying, this is who I am. And this is what I offer to you because I want to serve you. That, to me, is an attractive politician. And I wish our political scene today would reflect that whole notion and idea of that we're here to serve. We're here to facilitate. We're here to care for people. Because that's part of what it means to live quietly, mind your own affairs, and work with your hands. The other is, when Jesus points out the woman who gives at the temple two pennies, and all the other people are throwing in their big money, and they want attention for throwing in their big money, and Jesus, Jesus notices her. Jesus notices the one who lives the life quietly and yet gives everything of who she is. That's the life of Christ. And it's hard for us sometimes to picture with our own lives, our own minds. But think about what that means for you, what the Lord is trying to do with you and in you and through you, of living out this life faithfully, humbly, and the last line he uses there is work with your hands. Now, why would he say that? Well, there's actually a couple of reasons. First of all, if you're a Pharisee, typically you don't do manual labor. And Paul was raised to be a Pharisee, a rising star. Secondly, working with your hands typically means that you're either a farmer tilling the ground or possibly... You're raising cattle or even pigs, which would be awful for the Jewish population. And the other possibility might be that you are a fisherman. Or you're even a slave. But anyone who worked with their hands was oftentimes looked down upon. And yet, if you remember, Jesus was a carpenter's son. His father worked with his hands and Jesus probably helped him. And Jesus washed feet, working with his hands. What Paul is saying is, number one, there's no one below you when it comes to work. We all are called to task. We're all given responsibility. We're all given the opportunity to use our gifts and talents and abilities to serve others and serve the Lord. And to, and to have resources so that we can support the work of the Lord. 
So he's saying, it doesn't matter if you work with your hands. That's not a bad thing. But there was something else going on here that's really important to understand. We're going to touch on it next week and probably the next couple of weeks. I referred to it in the introduction, but it's the parousia. And if you don't know what the parousia is, it's the second coming of Christ. It's when he returns and there's judgment. And because people of Jesus' day and Paul's day thought that he was going to come back immediately, some of them just stopped working. Hey, there's no sense in getting my hands dirty. I might as well just sit around and wait for the Lord to come back. And he didn't come back as quickly as some of them thought. And so they started running out of money. So you know what they did? They sponged off people. And you know what happened after that? If you didn't deliver, then they would gossip or slander about you. Look at so-and-so. They have all kinds of resources. And look at me. I'm struggling, even though they're sitting around not doing anything. And so the church was becoming divided and divisive. Because everyone who was given the opportunity to work, some of them chose not to. And so they sponged and they became divisive and they gossiped and they slandered. And it had a ripple effect, like dominoes falling. And Paul is saying, don't fall into that. You keep working. You keep moving forward. You keep serving. Whatever you are doing, you are doing unto the Lord. That's the call of our lives. You know, oftentimes, even in the church, this is a problem, by the way. That we want other people to do the work for us. That we want other people to give the resources so we can keep coming to church and enjoying the blessings of church. And I, I know some of you have heard this before, but it's one of my most favorite illustrations of this. See, church sometimes is like a football game. You've got 22 people on the field who are in desperate need of a rest, being watched by 60,000 people who are in desperate need of exercise. <laughs> See, and oftentimes the church is driven by people, a few people, who are really willing to give of themselves and everybody else either has the retirement or the pew-potato mentality. And some people feel like, you know, there are people who have a lot more resources than me. I shouldn't have to give that much. Hey, the Lord is not picky. He says 10% no matter who you are or what you have. It's an equal opportunity opportunity. See, it's everybody is meant to be working and giving. That we are to be models to the community around us by our life. By what is a natural byproduct of us seeking to serve the Lord. Seeking to love one another. Seeking to work for the sake of the kingdom, the community. And therefore, we should be the best volunteers in our community. We should be the best volunteers here at the church. We discern and decide what opportunities and gifts and talents the Lord has given us. And we serve. That's his call. And 
so we come to this last section that says, behave properly toward outsiders and be dependent on no one. You know, the first thing you run into when you hit that phrase, outsiders. The implication, there are outsiders and insiders. And you know, we have two problems with that mentality that aren't appropriate problems. The first is, if you believe that everybody's okay and everybody's going to heaven and it doesn't matter what you believe, we have a problem. Jesus said there are outsiders and insiders. Paul said there are outsiders and insiders. So the reality is, if you're convincing yourself that you don't need to reach out with the gospel because of that, read the gospels. Read what Jesus says. Read the epistles and see what Paul says. And you will discern there are people that are lost out there. And you just need to look at the culture and you'll see that. And we need to be the instruments reaching out for the sake of the kingdom. The second is the people that are on the inside that are judging other people and condemning other people and are so legalistic in their mindset that they can't reach out in love for other people. That's what Jesus said of the Pharisees and Sadducees. That's why Jesus was accused of hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes because he was willing to reach out with the gospel to the worst of the culture in their mind. But the point is there are outsiders. That's what Jesus is saying. There's a family that we have the opportunity to be part of the family. There's a household. We have the opportunity to be part of the household. And if we are, our goal is to reach out and bring the gospel to those who don't know them. One of my favorite poems about this is entitled, I Stand by the Door. I Stand by the Door. It's by Sam Shoemaker, who, by the way, was instrumental, although he doesn't always get the credit, was instrumental in the start of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he wrote a poem entitled, I Stand by the Door. I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men walk when they find God. There's no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside. And they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where a door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men, with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, and they never find it. So I stand by the door. And it goes on. We need to be people who stand by the door. To reach out to people who are desperately in need of the gospel. In need in discovering God's love and God's forgiveness and God's mercy and grace. And we need to model that and live that with our lives and we need to know what it looks like. Secondly, he talks about our behavior. You know, our behavior in terms of how we deal with each other is so important. We need to learn to model the gospel in our relationships with each other. We need to learn what it means to love and serve each other. 
so that we can bring that message to the world. We need to be an attractive community. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they were, as he put it, killing the prophets. They weren't receiving the message. So what did he do? He wept because he cared so much. He cared about his apostles. And he cared about people who didn't know. And he modeled that. Healthy relationships. That's what he's talking about. Question number one. Who are you being taught by? When it comes to your life and how you live, and how you love, I might add, who are you being taught by? And then, how do you live? Are you living this life that God calls us to, the life of Christ? Let me read to you from another book. It's entitled Mere Morality, which is a playoff on C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. It's by Lewis Smeets. And the title has a subtitle called What God Expects from Ordinary People. This is not the saints. You know, those really holy people that are unrealistic in our minds. This is for ordinary people. And he writes, Morality then emerges from what we are as human beings. To demoralize life is to dehumanize it. Isn't that an interesting thought? To demoralize life is to dehumanize life because the way God created us, creating us in His image, was to live the life that He calls us to and to equip us for that life. And when we don't live that life, we tend to exploit other people and treat them as objects, not people. And we use people instead of love people. And we demand from people instead of serving people. He goes on to write, the call of morality is an invitation to the truly human life. See, what Jesus modeled was what it means to be human, the way God intends. And we need to learn from that. And I want to close by just reflecting with you very quickly, walking through the list of the fruit of the Spirit as to what it means to be human. The first fruit of the Spirit is love. That we are to love God's way, which is sacrificially. That we are to give of ourselves. That we're to love each other and be His model, be His body. Because if we're His body, connected to the head, we will naturally reach out and serve other people. And we'll do it together. Secondly, joy. This life is not meant to be drudgery. Being pure and pious and holy doesn't mean you have to have a drawn face and a frown. It's a life that's meant to be lived with energy and enthusiasm. That we are to be a joyful people. Peace. So many people in our world are fearful and conflicted. And God calls us to peace. And he gives us peace. Patience. There's one. I could, I could use a little help with that. Especially when I drive. 
we are so impatient and so demanding. And we need to learn patience with each other and patience with people around us that aren't where we want them to be and seek to love them into the kingdom. Kindness instead of a harsh and judgmental world that we're to bear and show kindness in our lives. Goodness. And the word that's actually in the Bible and the pews is generosity. That there's such a goodness flowing from our lives that we're generous in our giving of ourselves, of our resources, of our love and sacrifice. That we're good people. And people see that with good hearts because His Spirit dwells there. Faithfulness. Boy, we need people that are faithful today. Faithful in relationships. Faithful to the Lord. Gentleness. What a great word that is. Just think of how you care for children. You have to be gentle. And how God cares for us. Gentleness. In a very harsh world. And finally, self-control. Well, there's one. That we seek to be holy for he is holy. What if? What if we took seriously this call to be taught by God of his love? What if we truly became his disciples, which means learners? What if? We were that kind of church. Let us pray. Lord, as we pause to pray, we're mindful of Tricia. Ask you to be with her. And Lord, we pray that we would truly be your disciples, your learners. That we would seek to be taught by you, sitting at your feet, sitting before your word. Allowing your Holy Spirit to flow on us and into us and through us. So that we might truly be your church. Who are willing to work who are willing to serve, who are willing to love, as Jesus did. Fill us this day, Lord, and send us out into this culture, into this world, as your witnesses, as we seek to stand by the door. Lord, for those here today who may not know you, that they would hear the words of Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Lord, help us to be your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name.